Hello, and thank you for joining the Journal of a New Generation podcast from Waverley Abbey. In this six-part series, we are exploring how we as followers of Jesus can respond and walk through the disorientating moments in our lives and in the complexity of today's culture. We'll be looking to the ancient ways of Jesus. If you've joined us in this series so far, I had the privilege of speaking to five different people who shared their own stories. And in this episode, I'm still joined here by Jason in the studio, but first I wanted to share a little bit of my story with you all. So I was born in South Korea and came to England when I was 11. It was a big transition coming from South Korea all the way to Doncaster of all the places. And um, you can't hear it now, but I used to have a Yorkshire accent. And yes, it did confuse everybody all the time. But I came to university here in Surrey and uh, went to university, studied law and had an encounter with God. I'd grown up in a Christian home knowing about who God is and the reality of who God is and yet not having experienced the love of God. And that's a really tricky place to be in because you know all the things that you should or shouldn't do as Christians, all the things that are right and wrong without any of the desire to do the right things. And so I was caught in this place of living this, this dual life, this double life, where I knew what was right and wrong before God with no desire to do the right things and not to do the wrong things. And when I was 22, in my final year at university, I encountered God completely and just in the most wonderful way. I was being prayed for by someone and it wasn't an unusual thing. I'd often go up and, you know, the kind of half repenting, but really just guilt ridden. And I'm crying away being like, oh, I'm such a bad person and I'm being prayed for. And this time something was different. I felt the presence of God in a way that I never thought I would. And in that moment, all the things that I was ashamed of, all the things that I would never want anyone to know about what I'd done, God began to name and say, I was there. I was there when you were doing that. And that was followed up with, and I still love you. And that just broke me. That broke the shame, the guilt, and all of those things. And from there began quite an exciting life of adventure with God. And I'd studied law, so my plan was to go to the city and, and get a job and um, basically get the corner office. If you've seen Suits, that's the kind of the vibe I was going for. I wanted that corner office and to live that Canary Wharf life. Um, and yet, uh, as I was about to leave the town that I was in, the pastor at the time just asked me, hey, would you stay and uh, help out with the church? We really believe you're going to be a pillar in this church. And at the time, I remember saying to God, okay, whatever you say to me now, I'm going to say yes. I've given my life to you. I've chosen to follow you now and get rid of this double life. I'm going all in for God. Um, I was 22. I didn't know what that meant. I just said yes. And so I prayed about it and decided to stay in the town that um, I went to university in. And over the years, I got involved with a church with student ministry and, and God was so gracious. I, I, it was some of the best years of my life where a small group of students that I got to journey with because of my own experience as a Christian um, at university, I was able to just walk alongside them, staying and, and bringing people into my lives and into my home as they were asking questions, knowing that they were also struggling with 
who God is and how does that fit in with life and all the questions and all of those things. And we just saw some miraculous things happen. And by the grace of God, it grew and we got to have a nice, this, this beautiful community of people who were going after Jesus you know, all the things that you can think about, we were doing it. We were loving God. We were repenting, confessing sins to each other. We were seeing people coming in and being healed and, and uh, of loads of different things, both physically, emotionally, relationally. Those who um, were so hurting and broken through broken relationships and family, etc. We were just seeing the grace of God, the hand of God in restoring relationships. And uh, to kind of cut that middle bit out and we'll zoom forward. And and uh, in 2016, 17, I can't quite remember, um, I ended up becoming the pastor of this church. And that was a surprise to me. Um, I was a student pastor and I'd gone on a journey of saying yes to God. And, and you know, it, it typically as in a church, kind of climbing the church leadership ladder to put it crudely, not that I wanted to, but opportunity arose and I was invited into different places, into different positions and, and um, with a lot of trepidation because it was a community that I was part of. It wasn't just a, a job offer elsewhere. It was the very people that I'd gone to know and I'd grown up with, people that I'd been best men to at their weddings and godfather to their kids. And to be responsible to be the pastor of this community was a huge ask and it came quite suddenly. And so after five, six months of basically crying my way through those months saying, no, 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 I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Um, and one of the reason was that I was scared of breaking the church. What if, what if I do something and it breaks the church and it hurts the people that I love? And in a very quiet, still small voice, one day I, I felt God saying these words to me and he said, Charlie, I love you but you're not big enough to break my church. And that was such a relief. And it was followed up with all I'm asking you to do is keep your heart pure and hands clean. And when I took it back down to the basics, I thought, you know what? That's just a call to follow Jesus, to keep my heart pure and my hands clean. And, and I'll do the best I can within my abilities with the help of God. And so I said yes and began pastoring. And again, by the grace of God, there were you know, many, many challenges. I think anyone who's been in, I'm not going to say just Christian leadership, because actually sometimes we think Christian ministries are harder than any other work in the world. It isn't. Uh, everything is hard in this world. There are lots of hardship, especially when you have, have responsibilities and you're leading a group of people. And so there were lots of difficulties, but again, just the most wonderful community of people. And so I continued to fall in love with this group of people and, and we were, um, yeah, dreaming big and going to places and seeking God for what does a kingdom community in this town look like and how can we uh, begin to see restoration of relationship with one another through Christ and with God and with our families. And, and we were just actually, we were really going after that restoration of relationships. And so, again, a really beautiful time. Um, and then through various things, that all came to a sudden end in January 2021. And it was one of the most painful moments of my life. As you can imagine, 13 years I'd invested into this community. And uh, when it ended, I was the pastor of this community. And I won't go into the details of what happened, but uh, all I can say is that it was 
debilitating and really, really painful. And so all of my normal coping mechanisms, my spiritual Christian coping mechanisms in difficult times, which would often be declaring the word of God, standing on the promises of God. I would, I'm Korean, right? So I would be speaking in tongues. Doing that for half an hour is nothing to me. So I'm like, just speaking in tongues, just break through and this is okay. And I did that for about two days and I couldn't carry on. I think my whole body, my mind, my heart was in trauma. And the only thing I could bring myself to do in that time was to crawl out of my bed, literally crawl. And I would sometimes shower, sometimes not. I wasn't going to see anyone, so it was fine. And then I would go, okay, God, I'm up. I'm up. And I would lie back down, but not in my bed because I thought, well, I've got to move from my bed, but just on the floor. And all I could do was say, God, I'm here. And that's all I have. I've, I've sung all the songs. I've cried all my tears. I've prayed all the prayers. I've, I, there's, there's nothing else left in me. I have no energy to say or do anything other than just lie on this floor for five hours each day. So I did that for about two months. And in that place, I learned that, can you believe it, that without me saying lots of words, God was still speaking to me. And without me uh, running around and, and declaring the word of God and prophesying and speaking in tongues, and he was delivering me from a place of pain. He was healing me and restoring me ever so gently. To be honest, I think that's all I could take at that time. And the funny thing is, I had these season, this season of silence and solitude. <laughs> and I said to myself, someone needs to write a book on silence and solitude because this is gold. <laughs> and so I was talking to friends and being like, you know what? We don't have to use words all the time. You can sit silently and encounter God. And the funny thing is I taught on prayer. I was a pastor. I taught on intercession. I taught on contending. I taught on none of those are wrong things. I taught on one aspect of prayer and spirituality. And suddenly I realized in my silence, I'm saying nothing. And God is still speaking to me. In my solitude, I'm not impacting people. And yet somehow I felt the closeness of God and the community of God the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the places that I felt so isolated. And so, yeah, like I said, I, I thought, I've struck gold. Someone needs to write a book on this. Turns out it is one of the oldest spiritual disciplines, tracking all the way back to the Old Testament. <laughs> Silence and solitude. You see in Psalms, David talking about it. You see Jesus withdrawing from the crowd to be alone with the Father. But that was the beginning, really, for me. There was so much of my uh, Christian experience as a, as a leader, as a pastor, as someone who entered into Christian leadership really early on and encouraged to become a strong and dynamic leader. That I'd forgotten what it was to be vulnerable, what it was to remain humble and weak. And there were parts of me that I couldn't quite reconcile. And, and I realized that it was in this place of my soul that it needed tending to. By the grace of God, loads of great things were happening around me, but there was always a sense of discomfort within me that I couldn't quite um, get to the bottom of. 
And for those of you who are interested, that that community no longer exists, but the people are still beautiful and they are walking with Jesus. And God has been so, so kind. But I guess I'm sharing all of this because it was a crisis. It was something that was done to me that led me to begin to learn something about God in a beautiful and deeper way. And look, we're going through a season of deconstruction. I think it would be foolish for us to do a podcast called A Journal of a New Generation without mentioning the word deconstruction. And it's painful, and I have no words. But all I do know is that the really painful places that I was in, God was able to meet with me and help me to unlearn some things and relearn again the things that I needed to. And so, Jason, I wanted to uh, speak to you about this, about this process of unlearning and learning. I think when uh, when people are met with uh, a breakdown of relationship, of community, of some sort of crisis, um, it's easy to reject everything that came from that place, right? And that kind of cognitive dissonance of going, everything must have been wrong because it ended this way. And I had to really walk through going, what was good and what wasn't? What do I retain? What do I learn new? Um, and we were talking earlier about this as well. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, um, on unlearning and learning that process of how we go through these moments where we're forced to reframe what we know. How do we do that healthily? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I never grow tired of hearing that story, Charlie. Um, so learning and unlearning, one of the, one of the ways I like to approach it is what, what's the purpose of learning and unlearning? Um, and, and the normal way for us to grow and to learn, you know, psychologists know this, neuroscientists know this, educators know this, people in spiritual formation know this. Um, we, we reach a threshold where we become conscious of what we don't know. And that's one of the most painful times in life. We feel inadequate, we feel insecure, not up to the task. Um, Jesus brings his disciples, he gets them to do things until they realize what they don't know. And that's the moment often when we pull back. It's uncomfortable, it's difficult. And that's where we have to practice things and do things in order to grow. And, and growth is never linear. It, it, it always has you know, peaks and troughs and two, two steps forward, one step back. Um, so that's a normal learning process and we have to unlearn to learn. But in the Christian life, what, what, are, we, what are we learning? Learning often is, for many people, is facts about Christianity. Uh, cognitive propositions truths and if i just keep on believing things more and more and more and more then somehow that will that is learning and it's not it's not learning in the way that god would have us will he wants us to know body soul mind and spirit and grow we have emotional learning spiritual growing uh, engaging our bodies in our learning our heart in our learning so it's so a whole whole of life learning process um, and ultimately, I guess you might call it a theology of learning for Christians, 
it's to practice the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and that means to come to the end of ourselves and discover where we are not enough, but he is. And he takes us through that and he brings, we participate with him and he brings growth and he brings learning. Um, and in the Christian life and the Christian walk, we, we, we think we can get to Easter Sunday directly. Jesus has done it all. I go, it's what Martin Luther broadly, one of the things he said in the Reformation was, one of the problems with Christians is they want to go straight past Good Friday to Easter Sunday. Yes, and and no, nothing has changed, <laughs> you know. And again, if we grow up with a spirituality that's given to us by some people, there's nothing for you to do. Jesus has done it all. That's not true. We're supposed to participate with him. He makes it possible for us to go into Good Friday and experience Easter Sunday and do that again and again and again. That that itself is a learning dynamic and process. I've gone through my own process of learning and unlearning and deconstruction of my faith and reconstruction of it and and knowing actually coming out the other side of that and knowing that that's normal. Um, once you get in the room with other people and I was privileged to have God brought people into my life that made it safe to ask questions. Um, I remember going back to uh, seminary and going out with you know, with some friends, some lecturers from there and sitting down and saying, hey, guys, I need to ask you about heaven and hell and the Bible. Ask, and one of them just said, oh, you're there. You know, just, oh, you're in that place where, you know, you're ready to go to God. And it was like, hey, it's okay. It's okay to ask questions. And so there are people present that can take us through those moments. People in church history who have been there, the greatest Christians in history have had their moments of learning and unlearning and deepening in their faith. Um, so I think one of the things I would encourage, one of the things I wish every Christian could know is that when you get to that place where the faith and beliefs that you had stop working, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It's just that it's time to grow. Paul says, once I thought like a child. Now, you know, I don't. Uh, and, the, and the invitation to grow in faith. And as we know, there are growing pains in faith. It's complicated. Doubt, mystery, questions, uncertainty. And we can shy away from them and feel that the only alternative is I've got to lose my faith. And it's not. Those are the thresholds and the moments for going deeper in faith. And I can remember some of my own, you know, with my wife and going, where, where you know this fear of where does this all end will, will i end up not being a christian or and actually it was scary now i look back and think how could it have been scary because you come out the other side and you're like oh, okay there's more there's more of god not less of god in those moments you're right it is scary because everything that you've known and everything that you thought was secure can feel like by taking one thing out, it's just going to crumble. And it, it, it does feel like that. You go, well, if I just take that thing out, and then you're left with nothing. And so I found that as I've had conversations with people, I meet two types. One who refuse to acknowledge that there's anything wrong with the current way churches. You go, no, that's your experience. There's nothing wrong. Or the other side, which is, yeah, everything is wrong. There is nothing good here. We must completely rip it apart. And neither sits right in my heart. But how do we reconcile that? I know one of the ways I found some peace over that, because, again, I had my angst about, is it all wrong, yeah, especially church? No, actually, let me take a step back from that. You talked about pulling things out and, and it falling apart. Um 
there are approaches to truth and reality um, and without getting technical, it's quite common that many of us are brought up in ways and thinking a belief that there are foundational things and you build on them and you build on them. And we're not allowed to question them because if you take one out, the whole thing falls down. Um, and that's one approach to beliefs that some of us have. So if anyone's got that fear of, if well, if I let that go, what happens to everything else? Especially you've got people around you saying you have to hold on to everything or you're letting it all go. And it's not. There are, you know, I, I remember the first time I heard someone say, what if belief was more like a spider's web? And actually a bit can break, but it all, all still works together. And then you look at understandings of how we know things and form faith that Christians have had in history. And it, and it's it's much more nuanced and there are different metaphors and different ways for, for approaching belief that can be much more helpful. So that is one way to navigate Um if we got time, actually, let me show you something. I love a metaphor of the tree. I think I got this from Tom Oden, that there's dogma, doctrine, and adiaphora. Uh, dogma, it's not a great sounding word, but dogma is that if if the tree of belief is dogma, dogmatic, it's stuff in the storm that you can hold on to and will save your life. Jesus died and rose from the dead. You know, if we haven't got that, then you haven't got anything, okay? Then there are the branches. The branches of the tree are the doctrine. And so if, if, if the trunk of the tree of the Christian faith are truths about who God is, and actually I don't need to understand them all correctly for them to be true, but I can rest on them. Jesus is alive, is risen, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. But doctrine is, why did Christ die on the cross? You know, the, and thinking that through. Now, with a branch, you can step out on a branch, but if you go too far out on a limb, yeah. what's the saying? You know, it can break. Yeah. Oh, that's where it comes from. Oh, well, okay. not from that, but the metaphor the metaphor okay. works for it, all right. <laughs> so you go out on a limb uh, and it and it breaks. So we have to be careful. And then there in 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 theology is this notion of adiaphora. They're the lead, like the leaves. Things that don't matter very much. If your life depended on it, you would not grab hold of a leaf. Um, you told your story. Did you grab hold of a leaf or did you reach straight for the trunk of the tree? You, you, it all gets gets condensed down to, to the most real things. So there, there can be this, you know, either or and binary and I've got to jettison it all. And you mentioned the church. Something that's helped me understand the church is, again, Christians have done this in history. What is the church? Is there a pure church, a right church, a better church? We're always starting new churches that are going to be just like the Old Testament <laughs> or better and fixed. And The Acts 2 church. The Acts and, 2. And yeah. we're always coming up with new, great, amazing ways as if there's a silver bullet to fix church. And right. there isn't because mm. church is full of people like you and me. And we are mixed in our motives and, and we're mixed in our relationship with God. And that's why it's this beautiful, messy thing. Even when it's going really, really well, there's things that are wrong with it because we're in it. So uh, if I paraphrase, a guy called Alistair McIntyre, um, an ethicist, uh, and broadly he said, institutions of the enemy are good practice. So the church is an institution or organization, use that language. Um, and what that means is, the very thing that you create to do something amazing gets in the way of the amazing. Hospitals are supposed to make people well, but you can get superbugs and die. Yeah? Yeah. Or there's mis maladministration in hospitals. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you think this place is supposed to make people well, yeah. but the bureaucracy and the organisation gets in the way of it. Um, so would you give up on hospitals? 
You know, you, you wouldn't because you need access to health. But some people do this with marriage. They look at their parents' marriage and other people's marriages and go, the institution, the organization of marriage is fundamentally unable to sustain something. So I'll, I'll avoid it. I won't enter into it. Um, but Alastair McIntyre also said, so institutions are the enemy of good practice. So even if we're involved in, let's take it, let's say it's church and we absolutely love it, we should regularly be saying, where are we getting in the way of the very thing that we constituted ourselves to do? Okay. But McIntyre also said this, without institutions, there is no good practice. So if we believe that by jettisoning hospitals, families, schools and getting rid of them, all you're doing is replacing them with another institution, it may be just yourself, the church of me. Well, that's not so great uh, for, for people. It's not a way of being sustained in life and faith and doing mission and experiencing the kingdom with other people. Um, and it certainly doesn't lead to other people becoming Christians. Um, you, you need something as a group of people together that that takes risks and tries to be the best that it can, but is open and accountable and takes itself seriously, but doesn't take itself seriously. Um, and that's one of the hardest things to do. Uh, and that's why it's hard in the world that we live in that says, we are trained in our world at the minute. If you don't like something, get rid of it, do what you want, when you want, how you want. Church is so countercultural. Um, I often would say to people, say, just, just pick the church that bores you the least. Yeah. Pick pick the church yeah. where you can be the difference. Right. Instead of waiting for a church that does everything the way you want it, how you want it perfectly, can you find a church that won't say no to you? Can you find a church where if you think churches should be caring for the poor, justice, mercy, expression and stuff, find a church and place where you are free to do that. And they go, great, go for it. Mm. Do, do you get the difference between yeah. between the two? Yeah. And it doesn't mean that church doesn't hurt, because it does. Families hurt. You know, workplaces hurt. Well, whatever we belong to has the risk of, of vulnerability and, and harm for us. So again, one of the ways that I've, you know, uh, expectations change over time and you can be um, find a different place in relationship with other people. So the, those who are, those are my friends who are going through this unlearning process um, and relearning. I found that it's really hard for them to be in church because it's, like, as you said before, the, the doubts and the questions aren't welcome. It's not a place where you can go to question. It's a place where you go when your faith is strong and you have convictions and you believe in things. Not when you don't believe it or you're questioning or you're asking and wanting to really pull it apart to go, what is this about? Why are we doing this? This isn't right or any of that kind of stuff. And um, having been a pastor, when you've had to journey with people in that place, how have you how have you journeyed with them in that? I guess this is more about if there is a pastor listening to this or someone who's journeying with a friend, a loved one who is going through this unlearning process. How do you do that lovingly? It can be really hard. Some people are in environments. I mean, I'm I was so fortunate as a church planter that I could take my questions and my deconstruction. And I did worry at times, is this going to be okay for the church? But it turned out to be a rich thing for me and and also the church, you know. But but it, it, 
there can be places where it's not possible. You, you can't ask questions. You can't have doubts. Uh, and I've had uh, friends who've been in those situations, but also pastors who find themselves trapped in that situation. It's impossible for them to. Uh, because everyone expects them to be on their game and having the right answer to, to what's happening. And sometimes it is inevitable. You can't stay in that place and grow. Um, but in the long run, being on your own with that is not a, is not a place. Um, so that's why I say find the church that bores you the least. Find a church that will... Be, and there are lots of churches. They may not be wonderful in terms of, you know, what we like for worship and music and other stuff, but they can be wonderfully free places. You'd be very surprised. I mean, I went to... One of my local Anglican churches asked me to go and speak. I think the average age felt like about 105, you know, and I spoke and, the, you know, and it was a building and carpet, you know, it was all strange and... Uh, and very different but their warmth and openness and they were at a stage of life they, they weren't closed down they were like one of them said they asked me to come and talk about church and culture they said it's too late for us in some ways but how can we be open and help other people you know and I was like oh my goodness what if I needed a space you could come you could go there there's lots of things that you might not like but it has a space for openness and I think that's what some people discover some people stay on their own some people find roots into different spiritualities and there are different kinds of churches that have different temperatures different dynamics and different willingness to go yeah it's completely okay to have questions about that and sometimes that's what we have to do and ultimately we we can pray it could be really difficult and say lord where can i find you know two or three other people where how can we be the church the lord will always make a way for us Jason, this whole series has been about the disappointments, disorientation, crossroads. And, you know, from all the stories that we've heard, there's been pain. You know, there have been painful moments. And it really doesn't take long for us to live on this earth to realize that pain is part of our experience as human beings on this earth, even for us Christians. And uh, we've been learning about how do we walk through the, the confusion of life and the complexities of the cultures we're living in whilst remaining faithful to Jesus. So do you have some final thoughts on that? Yeah, um, listening to you, thinking about myself personally, my own journey, the hundreds of people as a as a pastor over the years I've got to interact with who've been through this kind of thing. Um, the first one would be uh, a couple of things that Jesus promises us in this process. In this life, you will have trouble. But in this life, he guarantees he'll never leave us or forsake us. Those, those are the, that's a place to stand. Um, it's a really practical stuff. Just... If you are in a place with the complexity and the overwhelmingness of life and deconstructing faith and, and, and wondering what to do and how to do it, there's some, just some really practical things that I found helpful and, and others have. And the first one is it's okay to acknowledge that and to yourself and to God because he can cope with this. Lord, this is too much for me. Um, the other one is finding safe people to express that to. Um, and that can take time. But again, if, if, if you ask the Lord he will find people for you. Um, 
be honest to yourself, be honest to God, find some people to be honest about with that. And then start to see this as an opportunity. Uh, I found this for myself uh, uh, and in advice with friends and many people over the years, I said, what, what if this moment you were at, the struggle that you're in, where things aren't working or they're too much, you've come to the end of yourself or it's all too confusing. What if instead of a place of losing something, this was a threshold, a threshold moment to discover more of God? The enemy would come along and he would tell us, he would lie to us and tell us this is the end of things. And the Lord says, no, this is the beginning. That he is the Lord, he is the Lord of life. He is the He is death and resurrection. And that when we go to him and some feel like something might need to die, he always brings resurrection to us. And then um, really practical things. Um, this this is where the resources of the church in history are immense. You discovered some, yeah? Contemplation, silence, prayer, spiritual exercises, Bible studies, retreats. I mean, there are the, the, there is a feast. There is a hospitality, that's a word we've used in this series, of God from his people to enter into places where we can be with God and process this. Don't be, Again, the message, don't be on your own. Um, take those things into the space where you are on your own and enter into those spaces with other people uh, and you'll have an amazing experience and encounter with God. Yeah, access all those resources. Um, and I think, and the last thing would be to say, this is like when I said this is a threshold moment. Um, I really do think at this moment, this time in history, uh, Waverley here, with uh, in partnership with Twenty Four Seven, we're we're praying for revival and personal revival. What what does that mean? Is it just about people feeling things and having experiences? It's like no, it's that the God who has become distant to us because of the difficulties of life, the challenges of life, that, he, that something would happen where he would draw so close to us again that we would experience him personally and wonderfully, that no matter how complicated the world is around us, we would be rooted and established in him again and revived by him. Uh, and that's what, that's what we believe the Lord has for us. And, and for any of you that think you're in a moment of losing everything, I, I would say to you, you're at a moment of God bringing the greatest breakthrough in your life that you've ever had. 